colleagues and comrades. On my side, it's 11 minutes past 12. That means it's afternoon. I'm not sure what, what is the time in Nigeria and in France. But I want to welcome you to our webinar. Uh, this is the webinar that has been organized by the Southern African office coming from the concern that coronavirus pandemic is still here to live with us. It's not an event that will pass, but we might be sitting with it for quite a long time. Besides that, it has made its mark on, 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 in history. It's, it will definitely go down on the history of the world. I don't want to elongate my welcoming, but uh, I've got two speakers that are going to uh, welcome the participants and make their own opening remarks. Let me first start by calling to the podium the regional secretary, Comrade Sani. Uh, th thank you, Sister Rita. Good morning, comrades. I am really very happy to be part of this program. This is a webinar uh, which we are organizing uh, sub-region by sub-region to look at the issues around COVID and also how it impacts on us generally as workers, our unions, and also uh, members of the larger society. And uh, so far we have held one for the Arab sub-region, and this is the second one. Uh, then we'll continue with the remaining two uh, for English-speaking West and East and West Africa, and of course the French-speaking Africa. Uh, then finally, we'll also round up uh, with a regional uh, program looking at all the issues contained or we have faced uh, over the last few or uh, 13 to 15 months due to the COVID. Um, comrades, the purpose of uh, this webinar has been well elaborated in the concept note. And on our part is to keep hope alive and to keep in touch with all our affiliates in the region and for them also to know what PSI has been doing globally, regionally, and sub-regionally. And a lot of information have been really posted on our website, uh, regional and the global. And a lot of efforts have been put in place by our PSI General Secretary, Sister Rosa, and also Comrade Babaye. And in also same vein, uh, a new staff has been joined, has, uh, has been uh, employed uh, to take care of uh, global campaign and advocacy. Uh, he will also soon be joining us uh, in this uh, program and also subsequent uh, programs. Comrades, uh, like I mentioned, the essence of the, uh, uh, this webinar has uh, really elaborated in the question mode is to also hear from you because we have really passed through a lot of challenges. And you can see the way the, the, the pandemic uh, and also the vaccine situation are really two extreme uh, situations that uh, in between we have uh, faced a lot of problems. And definitely when you listen to Rosa, uh, you will know clearly what PSI has been able to do over the last uh, few months, I mean many months. Uh, we have not been resting, and God, thank God, we have also survived uh, the COVID. Many of us have really uh, been infected and they survived it, though many also have lost their lives. And uh, we pray that, that uh, their results will rest in perfect peace and also may their families uh, also have the fortitude to bear that great loss. Uh, so, comrades, I want to welcome you, but definitely the most of the talk will be done by our uh, General Secretary, Saluza, uh, who has a lot to share with you, so that, again, after uh, speech, you definitely need to go back to our website and see a lot of effort that has been done and also uh, posted there. So, comrades, uh, my leader, uh, 
Samita and Komis, uh, welcome once again. So I hand over back the floor to you uh, to invite Rosa formally. Thank you, Congress. Thank you, uh, Comrade Regional Secretary, Comrade uh, Sani Baba. Indeed, we were caught unexpected. We thought uh, 2020, 2021 will be doing a great uh, movement in terms of representing our members. But now we are finding ourselves having to work remotely. Hence, we are having webinars, no more physical meetings, and it's very difficult. We, we are losing touch with our, with, our, with our members. But we want to thank you, PSI, for making these platforms so that we keep our connection with our members, so that our members can know that we are still representing them, though they cannot see us physically now. Uh, at their workplace, but we are there uh, to, to represent them. Let me welcome uh, the General Secretary of PSI, Rosa Pavanelli. GS, you may take the floor. I know that you've got a lot to say to, to our members and to the public at large, because I believe that even the public will be watching this uh, because they've got the hope that the health workers will take them out of, out of the misery that they are having. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sister Rita. Uh, and uh, also thank you very much for all what you are doing in uh, South Africa, um, dealing with uh, such a terrible and difficult situation. Maybe we can remove the, the agenda so we can see each other. And yes, indeed, as Sister Rita said, we were all hoping that in one year time we could have solved this situation. But it's now clear, I think, to everyone that COVID is here and is here to stay for a long, for a long period. We are in a limited number with many comrades uh, that are uh, staff or uh, members of our constitutional bodies. So um, I think uh, it's uh, better to use this time to talk about uh, uh, the work that we have done, the challenges that we have ahead and how we want uh, to, uh, to move. As we are all perfectly aware of the dramatic situation that workers in the health and care services are facing and also other first line and emergency workers have been doing. You know that since the very beginning, uh, we have been the first organization to launch. Uh, and I think also that we need in this uh, discussion that we are going to have not only to highlight the difficulties, but also the steps ahead that we have been able to promote, uh, to push with our, um, with our initiatives. We have been the first uh, in uh, 
in the global trade union movement, uh, uh, first of all, uh, to call uh, on uh, the necessity to invest in quality public services, to protect workers, uh, and uh, to increase the number of staff uh, in all health facilities and care facilities, where we saw that uh, uh, tough and hard working conditions, a lack of uh, protections for workers, were causing uh, um, thousands and thousands of infections and uh, what we uh, know only with the formal uh, statistics uh, that we have that are very limited in reality, uh, 70,000 uh, worker, health workers uh, died uh, in the past year because of the, of the pandemic. But I am afraid that that is underestimating the number of workers that have been uh, not only affected, but uh, who died because, uh, because of COVID, because it doesn't take into consideration all the care workers in elder house uh, facilities, uh, long-term care uh, facilities, and it doesn't take into account uh, uh, the reality of the community health workers that have been facing uh, 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 bare hands, the, the first response in many remote areas and rural communities. So um, it's, a, it's a tragedy and it's a massacre of uh, health workers that we had to face. Nevertheless, we work to support our affiliates in their fight for the claim of protection and fairer working conditions. Many of our affiliates have been able to negotiate better conditions for workers. Uh, as well as uh, negotiating uh, um, working conditions for all those who had to um, start working from home uh, with the home working, working from remote. This is not the whole picture. This is not the whole picture as, as, as uh, always it is, because uh, in many cases, uh, we had to we we saw that our affiliates uh, had to face uh, uh, had to fight to have their right recognized and not always they and they were not always successful we know that in many places workers were uh, uh, suffered retaliation because of the uh, protests uh, uh, that uh, they organized uh, in order to get uh, their fundamental rights recognized. Uh, and we also know that uh, uh, in many cases, uh, uh, there's been uh, no response from the authorities uh, to the workers, uh, to the workers' claim.
At the same time, and this is part of the work that Baba has been following very closely with the WHO, we have been engaged in several committees within the WHO or um, in order to in order to uh, ensure that uh, um, health workers uh, uh, can enjoy better working conditions and that uh, the policies that governments uh, were uh, adopting uh, to face uh, to face the pandemic were responding also to the need to involve workers uh, in uh, in that process at the same time we engaged with uh, the ILO we worked on the issue of occupational health and safety on the issue of extending the notion of uh, covid-19 as a, a professional disease Uh, to be recognized uh, to all the workers uh, that are uh, in contact uh, with uh, patients uh, that are in frontline activities, I would say, uh, and for sure for health, uh, uh, health workers. Um, Part of this work is now uh, objective, the objective of the survey that the ILO is, uh, um, is developing on Convention 149 on nursing and on relative resolution. I forget the number now, but Baba will remember it for sure. Uh, and uh, and uh, we are in the process uh, with the involvement of our affiliates uh, uh, and with meetings that are going to be um, to be held region by region uh, to to organize a collective response to this survey in order to. Um, make sure that all uh, the claims of our members are included uh, and the perspective of our members are included within uh, um, the review of the of that convention of that convention i must say that the most successful part of our work which is which doesn't mean that we are the winner yet Uh, uh, refers to the fact uh, that we have been very vocal and I would say very bold in uh, claiming a deep change uh, in the economic structure of uh, our uh, global system. Uh, as we saw that privatization, PPPs, Um, innovative financing, mixed financing, to be short, the Addis Abeba agenda on uh, financing for development are part of the root causes of this tragedy. Uh, from one hand, it's now clear that uh, there's a close connection between uh, Uh, climate crisis, uh, the irresponsible uh, use of uh, natural resources and of uh, pollution, uh, uh, 
with uh, the spread of uh, these new viruses. The, the, and, and on the other hand, we saw that uh, where services, uh, public services have been curtailed by years and years of austerity policies, of neoliberal policies, of budget cuts and uh, Public services have been the object of austerity policies, of uh, um, structural uh, uh, programs, uh, of uh, cuts, uh, to be short, cuts in funding and staffing of the services with the different forms, uh, PPPs, uh, privatization, commodification, marketization, whatever we want to call it, well, the capacity to respond to the pandemic has been much, much worse than in the few examples that we have where, on the contrary, governments invested in public services. And it seems now that in the global narrative, this is, you know, a common discourse. However, it's not yet clear uh, if the uh, real intention is to invest public money or to uh, or to um, I would say uh, push uh, even more uh, the role of private capitals in the health and care sector. We used uh, different tools uh, to tackle these issues: uh, investigation in the tax uh, uh, attitude. Uh, of uh, some of the biggest uh, corporates uh, in the, uh, for instance, in the care sector, where uh, uh, we could get evidence that all those who were responsible, those corporates who were responsible, that were responsible of uh, tax evasion, were at the same time uh, those who were not that were not respecting uh, uh, workers' rights, treating uh, workers very badly, and at the same time having a high rate of deaths uh, among uh, workers and um, and uh, patients as well. And this helped us to launch a campaign naming and shaming companies that were responsible for that. We, were, we produced for the first time, along with some of our allies, including the Trans Tax Justice Network and the Global Alliance for Tax Justice, the first report on the state of tax globally, where we have been able to show how much money has been stolen or is stolen every year uh, by illicit flows uh, um, uh, to tax havens and how much it corresponds to the uh, capacity of state to fund their uh, fundamental public services. As you know, uh, the UN uh, approved uh, a five-year plan for the health sector in 2016 uh, as a consequence of uh, the high-level commission uh, that uh, the 
UN General Secretary nominated. At the time, President Zuma was one of the co-chair of the of the commission, where uh, it was stated that 18 million health workers were needed within 2030 to respond to, to the fundamental needs of the global population. Nothing has been done so far in that direction to implement those uh, decisions uh, that were adopted by the OECD, by the ILO, by the WHO, by the global community, uh, to be short. Uh, and, uh, and we found out that uh, with the illicit flow of money to tax heavens uh, that is lost every year, we could fund 34 million nurses per year. The double of what would be needed according to the five-year plan. Uh, and this is something shocking, and this is something that we need to expose uh, to the uh, authorities, uh, given that uh, um, uh, it shows that it's possible to respond to the need of staff uh, uh, and it's not something impossible that requires uh, private capitals. It requires private capitals, yes, but capitals that comes from taxation <laughs> and that are the first responsibility of government. Uh, this is why we went even more, insisted even more on uh, PSI positions that it's time to introduce uh, a global tax uh, on corporate uh, that we uh, esteem to be um, equal to 25% of, uh, for, for corporates that they have to pay everywhere that they establish uh, their business. This is even more important now that we see how much money, how much profit uh, health, uh, um, big pharma and, uh, and high-tech companies have been able to put in their pockets uh, during this year, and we expect to do even more in future. And I think that uh, we need to be proud of the fact that our insistency has uh, pushed ahead a global discussion. It's not... Hello? Hi. We can still hear you. We can you. hear you. Yes, we, we can hear you very well. And you can see me? Yes, we can see you. Yeah. Yep. We can hear you, we can see you very well. I mean, I lost you, I can't see you, but it's important that you can hear me. Yes, we can hear you, we can see you. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that uh, it, is, uh, it is important, uh, um, it is important, sorry, here I am, uh, it is important that, that we highlight the fact that now this issue is top on the global agenda. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's something that was uh, completely unexpected and nobody could hope only a few months ago that the President of the United States was going to question 
the Washington consensus and put this issue of a global tax on corporate on the table for the discussion of the G20 and the global community. And I think that we need to recognize that uh, the work that we have been doing, trying to move and to promote a global community uh, with uh, many allies uh, to push in that direction, contributed to highlight the inconsistency, or better to say, the failure of the system that is... uh, 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 awarding uh, corporates that are making uh, trillions, billions, billions, if not trillions of profit at the expenses of of, uh, uh, ordinary people and, uh, and workers. And the second thing I want to highlight is our campaign on uh, the waiver on uh, the WTO TRIPS uh, agreement. Uh, The WTO TRIPS agreement recognizes the the value of intellectual properties for companies for the, the patents of their production. And it also referred to big pharma and pharmaceutical produ- productions. Um, this is what uh, uh, it has always been done. Uh, But we need to say that uh, the TRIPS agreement includes a clause that uh, um, allows for a waiver uh, in case of uh, uh, public health uh, uh, disaster emergency. Uh, And if a pandemic is not an emergency, I'm wondering what an emergency, health emergency can be. The WHO Director General called on the use of the uh, waiver some months ago now, uh, uh, and asking to the global community to promote that. The Indian government, the South African government, along with uh, uh, many other governments from the global south uh, were supporting uh, that claim and uh, presented a resolution in that direction to the WTO. But the the resolution encountered the the fierce opposition of the uh, G20 countries and the most richest countries. A breach is now opening in that uh, um, opposition front. There are governments within the G20 that start realizing that this is no longer sustainable. Uh, But, of course, it requires a decision of all the G20, the G20 countries uh, to promote uh, promote the waiver. Uh, This will allow um, all the countries who have the facilities able to produce the vaccine to use the know-how, the the patent uh, to produce vaccines that will be enough to respond to the needs of the global population. 
uh, at the same time, uh, um, being able to uh, to at the same time not uh, um, having to pay. Uh, for the patent to the to the big pharma, we need to recognize that big pharma uh, is um, uh, in many cases vaccine has been de- have been developed uh, with um, lots of public investment, public money investment, uh, taxpayers investment. So it's not at all acceptable that uh, they developed. Uh, Uh, the vaccine with public money, but now they want to make their private profit with uh, those uh, uh, those foundings. And uh, I also think that uh, we need to stress on the fact that uh, uh, with the, the multiplying of uh, variants in different uh, countries, uh, it it's becoming absolutely necessary to vaccinate all the population to reduce the possibility that the variants will spread further the contagion with more aggressive more aggressively as it happened in South Africa as it's happening in India and Brazil and we see in in many other in many other countries in the UK and in many other countries and at the same time we need to realize that in a globalized world, it's impossible to stop a virus unless you vaccinate all the population. So it's not protecting, you know, the interest of the big pharma that we can um, we can find a solution uh, to this. Well, I said that there's the opposition of the G20, but it's now. Uh, growing the movement, including many authorities, Nobel uh, laureates, uh, uh, politicians, uh, academics uh, that are putting pressure on the G20 countries and on the WTO uh, to to promote uh, this this, uh, waiver uh, for, uh, for vaccine. Uh, just one comment on that, and then I stop here, and I let, uh, and I will be able to to talk with you, uh, to to intervene later, or to respond to your question, or to contribute to the general debate. Only one thing uh, mm, I want to comment. Uh, recently, uh, the ITUC Africa released a statement where they were calling on the uh, international community to support the COVAX program uh, that is promoted by the um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, along with uh, some rich countries and companies uh, putting some money in order to give... uh, um, some mm, a certain amount of uh, uh, of uh, jabs of vaccines to to the mm, poorest country to the poorest country. 
that was the first response uh, uh, that was put together by the international community. But in any case, this is a response that aimed to protect the interest of pharmaceutical corporates from one hand and from the other hand to allow the richest countries, the northern rich country, to select those countries they want to partner to benefit of the vaccine. And the quantity of the vaccine available is not at all sufficient to cover the needs of a whole population in uh, in, in the selected country. Um, it's something, it sounds strange to me. I commented this with uh, Sunny uh, because uh, we are pushing for a global solution that is based on justice and equity, not on charity, not on charity and on uh, philanthropic approach that will continue to keep the south uh, the southern countries of the world and particularly africa in a situation of uh, uh, colonial submission i would say uh, and uh, this is uh, not at all acceptable in our perspective also considering that uh, more or less in all the continent, there are facilities that can be used to produce vaccine and quality vaccines uh, um, to respond to the needs of all. Um, so I think we need to be clear. We need also to, to open a debate uh, with uh, uh, the national centers and with uh, uh, ITUC Africa on this, uh, on this issue as uh, this is the time to put pressure on the international community to make a real deep change. Uh, and we have the chance to promote some cha change, but we need to be very um, firm in the claims uh, that uh, we want uh, to promote. As a, a last note I saw yesterday, just to comment, because this is part also of the work that Sunny is doing uh, in, uh, in Africa, that uh, UCLG, the Association of uh, Local Governments, uh, the Global Association for uh, Local uh, Governments, uh, released a statement supporting the waiver of the TRIPS, uh, the WTO TRIPS. Uh, so is another area of uh, uh, work where we can uh, we can uh, build alliances to push together uh, with some of our social partners. I stop here and uh, well, I think I have covered the, the topics, the most important things. Then we can discuss all the other things, and also Baba and other will uh, will contribute. Thank you, GS, and thank you very much for setting a tone for this webinar uh, by giving us the detailed report of what uh, PSI is doing in, in, in the fight uh, uh, for a, a, a sustainable global solution to the COVID-19. Indeed, what will be the crisis in health, in our social environment if COVID-19 is not a crisis. We 
we have noted that uh, there is a step back, a few steps back, or many steps back in us attaining the sustainable development goals. All of them, all of them, 17 of them, they are affected now. I don't want to mention uh, them by one by one, but I'm telling you everything, everything. It looks like we are no more, we are not going to reach or we are not going to attain the, the sustainable uh, developmental goals. But where I am now with the program, <clears throat> I'm going to call up the speakers now, but I want just to remind the speakers that our webinar uh, objectives were to understand how the vaccine works, the importance of vaccination, the effectiveness of vaccines that have been produced so far. We also wanted to, you to reflect on the danger of the big pharma and the vaccine apartheid. We also need to, 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 to hear from you, how can we then intensify the campaign for TRIPS waiver? We were trying to create a platform of sharing of experience from different countries uh, of, sub, of this sub-region and also to reflect on the possible trade union responses towards COVID-19. Uh, that, that, those are the objectives that will be covered by the speakers as well as the participants in this webinar. Um, comrades, I'll call you comrades. Um, I, I think you don't mind, uh, Dr. Hopa Kumar, if I call you a comrade. We are on item two, the topic that has been uh, submitted to you is to how to vac how vaccines can contain the pandemic and the choices we have against the COVID-19. We believe that uh, the vaccines are the solutions to contain this uh, pandemic. But also, they are, we, know, we don't know whether to call them fake news, but you'll tell us if they are fake news. Uh, about the vaccines. There are people that are, are against the vaccination. They are means of 5Gs. They are means around the, 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 I don't know whether it's means or not, the side effects of the vaccines, but we'll hear from you. Um, uh, Dr. Kopa Kumar from the Third World Network. He's also a lawyer working with TWN. Um, over to you, Say. Um, I, I hope that you, you clarify all our concerns around the, the vaccines as to how can these vaccines assist. We know that we, we had other pandemics before, the Spanish flu, the measles, the polio, to mention the few, and we do have vaccines, but this one, when we, go, we got the vaccines, there were a lot of negative uh, 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 stories about the vaccines. So we'll hear from you. Please take the floor. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, dear friend, uh, uh, Rita. And let me just start uh, sharing my presentation. So 
let me start with my uh, second slide so uh, how does this uh, how does uh, covid vaccine 19 really works so one of the important criticism people talk about of uh, vaccine covid vaccine is that uh, it does not prevent infection so i had vaccination and next day i became you know covid positive or our friends uh, had vaccine then when a few days later uh, they became uh, <coughs> covid uh, positive so uh, this is coming from our perception about the vaccine over the years most of our vaccines uh, we are using the main purpose of the vaccination is to prevent the infection but this covid vaccines the main purpose is not to prevent the infection it may help in the prevention of uh, uh, you know uh, transmission of covid but uh, it does not prevent it is not made uh, to prevent the infection uh, it is made to prevent the severity of the infection uh, to explain it further our uh, the covid infection first affects our respiratory tract so the covid vaccine actually protect our systems from infection so as a result you will still get the infection but it will prevent uh, to affect our lungs or other organs so that's the way the covid vaccine works so the aim of the covid vaccine is to prevent the severity of the infection so once you uh, prevent the severity of the infection the run for hospital uh, etc will uh, really get reduced and the severity goes down uh in order to achieve this at a you know from a public health we will always talk about the population uh, coverage and at least they are saying there should be 70% of the population coverage at least if not 100% so you need around 70 to 80% population coverage to feel the uh, to to witness the effectiveness of the vaccine and uh, now uh, more and more new variants are coming in vaccine makers are saying that we may need we may require uh, booster doses unlike the smallpox vaccine with one single shot you get lifetime immunity or a yellow fever vaccine one shot you get 10 years of immunity but this vaccine we do not know exactly with after two shots how long our immunity is going to last and if new uh, variants are coming in then we may require a booster dose even sometimes some people are predicting we may require like a, a flu vaccine an annual vaccination but we don't know yet so i am not uh, getting into that area and there is small clarification about the efficacy of the vaccine the efficacy of the vaccine is that how the vaccine is uh, protecting a, an individual okay and but the effectiveness of the vaccine is that the that's the effect of vaccine within a one population so this both are slightly different and the vaccine so far claiming uh, so that takes me to the next slide we have around 14 vaccines are approved by various regulatory agencies in the world so these vaccines efficacy varies from varies from vaccine to vaccine we have uh, um, uh, Pfizer and Moderna around 95% efficacy uh, uh, Sputnik 5 claims around 91% efficacy then there are uh, various vaccine Johnson around 
uh, around 81 or 83 percent i clear, forget that um, astrazeneca is claiming around uh, 71 uh, so we have these uh, various efficacy claims are made uh but these claims you know when we say 95% of efficacy we are under a misconception always thinking that if the vaccine is uh, uh, uh you know up, uh, administered on 100 people 95% will uh, people will be safe and 5% of the uh, people uh, get it uh, you know has the chance or have the chance of getting infected so that's not true uh this is individuals okay so you have uh, you like to say that 95% efficacy means 95% chances are there you will not get in severity of the infection so that is what we like to understand and um, um now the data is coming after vaccination you have a very substantial percentage of uh, you know cutting down chance of infection plus you have almost 95 to 80% of the so the 95% even 200% range of uh, uh, not even though though you get the, uh, get infected but you may not get a severity of the infection so the efficacy here means it's basically an at the individual level just keep that in mind and as i told you there are 14 vaccines approved so far out of that you know uh, this 14 is you know we need to be little uh, careful about this uh, 14 numbers because astrazeneca vaccine approved in uh, by different manufacturers also sometimes get counted so that way the who has a uh, emergency use listing that basically means to facilitate the international procurement of vaccines so for till now only three vaccines from five manufacturers were approved these are pfizer johnson and johnson and astrazeneca but astrazeneca vaccine produced in south korea astrazeneca vaccine produced in india both are also got emergency use listing so we have around five vaccines from three manufacturers sorry three vaccines from five manufacturers are uh, uh, under uh, you know approved by the who as part of the uh, emergency use listing so this means these vaccines are available for international procurement through covax facilities and uh, uh, the countries who are eligible under the gavi uh, program uh, those countries can get and uh, gavi has created a covax facility to uh, facilitate free access uh, to around uh, gavi eligible countries around 92 countries so these vaccines are in various technology platforms but except pfizer and moderna vaccine all other vaccines are on existing technology platforms that means uh, there are vaccines using the same techniques and we should also keep in mind that this vaccine technology is around 140 years old this technology uh, the concept of uh, vac- vaccine irrespective of the technology platform has not changed um and uh, the vaccine can create uh, some kind of side effects but that is not coming from the vaccine material per se but the materials you use to deliver the vaccine so very large number of people the vaccine side effects are by and large on the area of injection and then some people as we have read uh, in the case of there are a chance of blood clots etc but a very very minute number so the cost always is lesser than the benefit that's why the regulatory authorities have not withdrawn these vaccines from the market and they allow to vaccinate 
uh, with all these uh, you know ifs and buts why the vaccination in the covid uh, uh, context makes sense uh, as i told you it reduces the reduction of severity of the infection second so as a result very less number of people require to go to the hospital or require hospitalization so that will in a way reduces the uh, stress on the health system and eventually that lead to bring back because the once the infection became a kind of a normal uh, uh, very less uh, feverish or uh, you know less infectious and then uh, the, you know the you can bring back to the uh, socio economic life or you can uh, you, you can bring some degree of no- normalcy in the socio economic life Uh, so that is what is happening in israel and uk even in us uh, announced the other day that if you have two shots of vaccine even you don't have to wear mask so this is the way the uh, countries who are having substantial number of uh, percentage of vaccination completed is moving uh, so therefore uh, the vaccination makes sense uh, that also that also is a public you know is a is a good investment from a, a government's physical uh, discipline are concerned because somebody may ar- argue that why government should spend for vaccine people sh- uh, you know we don't have money uh, how do uh, how do we buy per, uh, vaccine for the people so, but i think it does make a sense because it can bring back to the socio economic life uh, back to the normalcy so the investment you make really is actually beneficial for the uh, uh, for the people so that's why vaccine as well as vaccination uh, are co- uh, are considered as a public good so many people when president macron when uh, chancellor angela merkel even uh, world health assembly resolution tamed, world health assembly resolution termed vaccination as a public good but other people as you see uh, on my slide they called uh, vaccine as a public good including the un uh secretary general tamed uh, covid vaccine as a public good but of course having said or having tamed uh, vaccine as a public good but realizing or translating uh, this concept into day to day life is 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 uh, difficult and we are finding a lot of gap what these leaders promised and what's really happening so here see so a few countries account for the substantial percentage of the vaccination there are around till date 1.6 billion doses were administered out of that around 70% concentrated in a few countries for example in the slide you can see that around uh, 232 million vac- doses in usa 229 uh, in china 147 in uh, million doses in india and eu is around 134 so all together this will be roughly 70% i think um, of the total doses administered so far so there is a concentration of vaccination what are the reason for this concentration this uh, this concentration is primarily due to a few countries uh, are either purchasing or book the uh, vaccination as you might have read 16% of the countries who are having mainly high income countries having 16% of the global uh, population uh, has acquired more than 53% of the 
vaccine doses uh, or they booked the 33% of the vaccine doses to be produced in 2021. Then countries like China and India, they do have the manufacturing capability to produce huge number of vaccine and therefore they could also administer their population. But uh, what we should um, keep it in mind, though uh, China and India uh, is uh, ha- you know, leading with uh, 229 and 147 million doses, to compare it with the percentage of the population, these doses are nothing. So in India's case, I can tell you, uh, the only 22 million people out of this 147 doses, only 22 million people have com- uh, completed two doses of vaccine. So that means around 1.65 percentage of the vaccine. And you have to achieve at least 70% of the population coverage. With this speed, it may take years to complete. So oh, why is it so happening? But uh, you know, if you look at many other countries, their population coverage as well as the number of doses are very low. So that means there's a huge demand, uh, uh, the, uh, but uh, there is less supply. So availability is an issue and price is also an issue. Price varies from $2 to $40. You might have read uh, AstraZeneca supplied uh, vaccine to Uganda at, uh, I think, $7 uh, per dose. Uh, so this much uh, huge price variation of the same vaccine is happening. Same AstraZeneca supplied around $1.73 uh, to the European uh, Union. So we need a huge uh, scaling up of the production to meet the huge demand. There's a huge unmet demand. And uh, companies who are having, as I told you, 14 vaccines have been approved by various agencies and many more vaccines are to come. Uh, But there is a huge gap. These companies alone cannot meet the demand. And according to uh, IFPMA, the Global Association of the Big Pharmaceutical Companies, uh, even if all the vaccine which are supposed to obtain marketing approval and produces uh, uh, all the doses as per their plan, still you are short of around uh, 2 billion doses. No, at least you, look, you easily you can calculate is that what's a global population and 70% of the population and needed two doses of vaccine. So that means around uh, 12 billion doses you require. Uh, uh, but the, all the production uh, which here uh, goes as per the plan, still you will have only around 10 billion doses. So this is what the uh, IUFUMA says. And... Um, we are forced to, uh, you know, uh, we, are, we are forced to uh, uh, take that uh, truth because uh, the, around July uh, or September 2020, uh, around 800 million doses were promised uh, by the end of uh, March. But we know that, you know, only a fraction of that has been actually uh, uh, came into the market. So that takes us to the uh, uh, what really preventing us uh, from doing uh, 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 to, uh, from uh, uh, from from uh, scaling up the production because the TNCs firms and developed countries are not ready to give up the control on the technology because they say that it's their investment and it cannot be uh, it cannot be shared so easily. You might have come across an interview broadcasted yesterday where. Uh, 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 
Bill Gates rejecting the idea of sharing the vaccine formulas. Uh, having said this, um, how much truth is there? And I also told you that we term we are taming vaccine as a global public good, and I cited the reasons for that. But why we say it's a vaccine as an uh, uh, vaccine uh, is a public good and uh, it needs to be shared because uh, the vaccine is the outcome of research and development. And who funded this research and development? Uh, the data shows that 93 billion US dollars were spent on uh, vaccine research and development by the government. Okay, There is only less percentage of the uh, private sector money. For instance, AstraZeneca, 97% of the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine uh, is, is financed by the uh, public sector. Uh, Moderna vaccine, 100% is financed by the public sector. Well, Pfizer vaccine, though they say that they don't receive the money, but they did receive $2 billion uh, from the government as an advanced market commitment. And the BioNTech, which developed the technology, received uh, around 300 uh, uh, million plus assistance from the German government. So uh, there is a heavy involvement of public uh, 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 sector uh, uh, money or public money. And the moment the public money is there, it's owned by the public that way. So it is not their private uh, uh, money and private investment. So therefore, public has a legitimate claim on the outcome of the research. So that's why we also call it as a public good. Um, develop this vaccine using public money. They are not ready to share the technology to the potential manufacturers in order to scale up the uh, vaccine production. The scaling up is very critical because you need to achieve that 70% of the population coverage the quickest, uh, in the quickest uh, span of time. Otherwise, uh, you may not have the desired effect or you may lose the uh, effect of vaccination. I know people uh, uh, you know, normally tell that you know, nobody is safe until everybody is safe. Okay. So therefore, it is important that the, the uh, considerable, substantial percentage of the population get the vaccination at the shortest possible time. So then only we have hope uh, to uh, go back to the pre-COVID days. And especially in the absence of any medicines. We do not have a medicine to treat COVID till date. Okay, So the best tool currently available in our hand is a, is a vaccine. And the access of that vaccine uh, is, is, is uh, prevented by the, uh, uh, by the um, monopoly, uh, uh, the desire for monopoly by the vaccine manufacturers. Normally, they use uh, two types of intellectual property rights uh, to control uh, their uh, their uh, uh, power on the vaccine technology uh, using one is patent and another is trade secret. Patent, all of you know that. I'm not spending any time on that. Uh, the trade secret to speak quickly. Uh, trade secret uh, is a, you know unlike the other medicines. When you produce vaccine, the regulatory agency insists that you follow the exact method of manufacturing. Uh, developed by the originator company. If you don't follow, you have to prove the safety and efficacy again. So as a result, a company who wants to produce the same vaccine as the best option is to go to the originator company and seek the technology. If the technology is denied, then they have to develop their own technology, but then they have to carry out uh, clinical trials to prove the safety and efficacy of the 
vaccine. That is time-consuming and that is also require resources. So as a result, companies always uh, are reluctant uh, to reverse engineer the vaccines because there is no uh, incentive for them to do so. Because the moment you do that, you have to spend additional money. So it is better to obtain a license and produce the vaccine. So uh, with, uh, unlike patent, there is no compulsory licensing mechanism to share the trade secret. However, there is a mechanism where in which the government can help, probably the regulatory agencies can help because they do have this information. They can share this information with the uh, potential manufacturers and, uh, and, and uh, uh, nudge them to produce the vaccine at the quickest possible time and to bring a kind of level playing field between the uh, originator vaccine manufacturers and the, uh, and the non-originator uh, vaccine manufacturers. But you cannot uh, sh- uh, share that uh, dossiers uh, as of now because the TRIPS agreement prevents you from doing it. It, it does say, you know, from a legal perspective, you can say you can still share. It's, the TRIPS agreement say that you can share the dossiers uh, to protect the public. But in what circumstances you are protecting the public, nobody knows that. Okay, so that will be interpreted by the WTO's dispute settlement board. So there is a legal uncertainty the moment you take this uh, information and give somebody to produce a vaccine. So this creates a legal uncertainty. So uh, as a result, nobody is ready to share. So here comes the TRIPS waiver. The TRIPS waiver will help and clarify the position that the countries have the freedom, the regulatory authorities have the uh, policy space to share that dossiers, to promote uh, uh, the vaccine production, to meet the uh, demand, and uh, that way you can contain the spread of the disease. So that is where the uh, importance of TRIPS waiver in the context of uh, uh, vaccine. Otherwise, uh, why I'm saying is that, you know, normally um, the vaccine manufacturers, European Union and US blocks uh, till now oppose the uh, adoption of the waiver proposal, citing two reasons. One is, oh, if you do that, it undermines the innovation. As I told you, uh, how the... Uh, in innovation uh, takes place. Innovation takes place through the R&D funding. And in this case, the R&D funding is actually done by the government, not by the private company. If the R&D funding is done by the private companies and then you are taking away without a compensation, that does make sense. Okay, you can say that, okay, it, it, it uh, undermines my uh, investment. But here there is no such thing happens because it is substantially funded by the private, uh, by the public sector. And second argument, they say that in the case of vaccine, they say, look, um, you cannot uh, produce a vaccine only with a compulsory license uh, uh, of patents, but you also need the technology transfer, which I told you. The problem is that the regulatory agencies insist that you follow the manufacturing process of the originator. Otherwise, you have to carry out the clinical trials. Uh, But this can be bypassed. either by sharing the uh, dossier of the originator to the regulatory uh, to the to the non-originator company by the regulators or, or regulatory agency can um, develop a mechanism wherein which the non-originator vaccine can be approved without a clinical trial so uh, we are living in, uh, in the era of vaccine monopoly and which is resulting 
people's health and it undermines our ability to effectively undermines many of our government's ability to respond to the vaccine uh, sorry to the pandemic and it in a way undermines uh, uh, the state's capacity uh, to contain the pandemic uh, so this is, a, this is a major issue and the trips uh, waiver proposal got substantial support from various corners including the lawmakers when 400 lawmakers of the uh, european parliament or member of european parliament uh, uh, extended their support and similarly the lawmakers in us also wrote to the president biden to support the waiver proposal so um, it, and nobel laureate rosa told you already around 100 Uh, plus uh, nobel laureates or uh, former heads of the state also uh, wrote a letter to biden asking for the waiver so there is a, a massive support the people are supporting this proposal and by way of conclusion uh, we need to uh, uh, we need to realize uh, or translate the idea of a global public good vaccine as a global public good into reality okay and we should for that purpose we should put an end to the covid vaccine monopoly and to ensure availability and access that is to diversification of the production base of vaccine and we also need to build our capacities at the national level and regional level uh, of uh, you know vaccine production so we can meet the uh, not only this crisis also the crisis which may come up in the future so therefore i think we need to work with the like minded uh, groups and movements in the coming days so thank you we we, ap- we really appreciate your contribution in this webinar indeed moreover the health workers when everybody ran, ran for hiding at the beginning of this pandemic health workers could not run away because they cannot work remotely mm-hmm. their only prayer was this vaccine that if we could get the vaccine then things would be better it was very painful or it is still painful for the health workers to will out their colleagues from the hospital to the mortuaries and uh, our hopes is that this vaccine will reach each and every health worker you you correctly said that the the, the it's not going to prevent the infection i think we are still going to to emphasize on non pharmaceutical prevention the ppes and the likes but indeed if if we could get the vaccine it could prevent the severity and it could minimize the number of deaths um thank you very much um let me take another speaker uh a comrade an activist a uh, comrade baba ayi we have already heard from the general secretary that a psi has called for the wto trip waiver trips waiver we believe in psi that we should put human life first 
and we should put human life over profit. Can you tell us about this campaign and also what are you seeking to achieve and what, what is it that motivated PSI to take this call? I know once you talk about apartheid, I know what you're talking about because I'm from South Africa. And if the vaccine now is going to be termed a vaccine apartheid, that means poor countries are in trouble. Baba Aye, please take the floor. Thank you very much, um, Comrade uh, Titular Comrade Rita, and thanks to all, um, thanks to the subregion for for the excellent idea of um, organizing this webinar. Uh, the General Secretary, Comerosa uh, Pavanelli, has made my work easier in terms of uh, speaking to even a number of what you have raised, Rita. And uh, my very good friend, Gopa, good to see you. It's been a while, too. Uh, I'll try to contextualize the questions um, Comrade Rita has asked me to uh, look into, um, partly because... Uh, it, it needs some some context to look at things, and and it's it's very important uh, our struggle for universal for people's vaccine, universal access to the vaccine. It is of exceeding importance because the vaccine right now is an important link in the chain. And while we hold that, because it's important to hold the most important link in the chain at each point in time, we must not lose sight of the chain as a whole, uh, because uh, the, the issue of um, the vaccine apartheid, or some would even say vaccine imperialism, the, the issue of uh, putting intellectual property um, over and above the, the health of billions of people, they are all tied into a, a systemic rhythm of, uh, of, of neoliberalism. Uh, and um, as we, we campaign against this, we, we, what we try, this is a, a crisis, like Arundhati Roy said, is, is a portal. You know, how we come out after this depends on how we blend our short-term and long-term demands at each point in time in this struggle uh, to fight for, um, to, to, to reorder the rules on the basis of which the world functions. Uh, it, it is instructive to start at this point in time from Jonas Salk, who was the, uh, who invented the polio vaccine, who developed the polio vaccine in 1953. When he was asked if he would uh, patent, who would own the patent, of the vaccine. He said, can you patent the sun? That it belongs to the people, to everyone. We all know how that singular work of his has been able to save millions, tens of millions of children from, from polio. So, uh, but the thing is, in that period, up till the 1990s, you didn't have, in a sense, a global regime of, of, of patents like this. It was essentially the stronger uh, countries. Uh, I mean, now you're talking of even making compulsory licenses seem to be 
a big deal. In that period, uh, that is before the, the mid-1990s, you had the United States itself carry out several compulsory licensing, no issue. Between 1969 and 1992, um, Canada carried out compulsory licensing, I think 613 compulsory licensing, no issue. Uh, in fact, one of the main companies, one of the companies that fought against government using compulsory licensing in this period is Pfizer, which is also a major culprit, a major villain in what is happening right now with the COVID-19 vaccine. And this was in the 1960s when it took the British government to court for compulsory licensing for, um, for drugs for the National uh, Health Service, the NHS. Things changed in 1995 with the emergence of the World Trade Organization. However, and, and, and this is important for us to in looking at what we are doing now, the, the background to it. It's not only the WTA that was formed in 1995. UNAIDS, the United Nations AIDS Program, was also formed in 1995. Uh, because this was also a period where um, you had uh, the HIV uh, AIDS pandemic spreading uh, uh, like, like, um, like wildfire. And, you know, but, but now with, with, with the WTA, you know, a global architecture, a global architecture for foisting the hegemony of intellectual property rights on everybody. So just as of now, it was India, South Africa took the gauntlet as developing countries uh, that, that fought for, look, we are people, I mean, this is having great impact. We cannot go along with this strict, constricting global intellectual property rights order that uh, is being foisted on us, you know. But the, 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 the company, because as at that time, we then had highly active antiretroviral therapy, which, you know, you, with the use of three different ARVs, but these were costing between $10,000 to $15,000 per person per annum, you know. So, and, and it was not sustainable in, in the poorer countries. But, and that is, this is very important in inspiring us. You see, there were mass mobilization struggle by social movements, social movements, developing countries, and with this organizing power and institutional struggle, changes were brought about. When I, when I heard of Biden's um, um, seeming readiness now for, um, the, the, to support the trips waiver uh, campaign, I was happy, but it gave me a flashback because uh, similarly in 2000, and in, 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 2000, yeah, in 2000, you had Bill Clinton throw his weight behind sub-Saharan African countries using compulsory licensing. But, and this is also important to where we are now. Bill Clinton did not just make that declaration, he even passed an executive order, I think 13155, for that, for that purpose. But it was because of mass action by unions, by social movements, and also advocacy by developing countries within, within the WTO. So, because May 2000, when he said this, this was just some five months after the Seattle, um, the Seattle struggle stopped the WTO in, 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 the, in, in the United States and, and, and all that. And 
part of this was against the, the, the hegemony of intellectual property rights. Fast forward now, because one of the main things we are using is, is the, is the um, WTO chips waiver uh, built into um, the, the waiver possibilities built into trips for public health purposes that came out of the Doha round in 2001. But this also reflected both these two, working on these two legs of social movement activism and, uh, 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 and advocacy within, within government. Now, to where we are, PSI, as uh, Rosa rightly pointed out, has been at the fore not even only of, of before even we got to the vaccines, in a, an excellently articul- our uh, excellently articulated perspective of our priorities uh, um, and perspective on the on the pandemic, with the general secretary, you know, uh, put together right at the very early days of the pandemic, it pointed out that look, there was the need to suspend patents on medicines, technologies, medical supplies that were needed to combat the pandemic. This includes vaccine. And right now, vaccines are of exceeding importance. And as I said, the most important link is the chain. But it is a comprehensive position about what should be the stance in situations of pandemic. Because how we come out of this will also set the rules on the basis of which um, the global response to subsequent pandemics. And mind you, as several people, including the WHO Director General, uh, Dr. Tedros, has pointed out, we are likely going to be having several pandemics in the coming period. And it is also partly based on the the, the, the global uh, architecture that is based on putting the profit of a handful of people before before the health of, of, of the earth and, 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 and the billions of people. So the thing is that we, we're talking about, about uh, this, and but coming because, as I said, is the, the key link and, and due to time now. On the COVID-19 um, vaccines in particular, um, we, as PSI, we have carried out several um, advocacy, written, and along working along with a number of civil society organizations in several networks, including the People's Vaccine Alliance, including with TW, including with Amnesty, but with our affiliates and the head office. As head of the work we are doing, we have written to several governments. We have, and right now the good thing is you have about a hundred countries uh, supporting the waiver. You have some of these more, the more, and, and in those, uh, for want of a better word, like the belly of the beast, the United States, our affiliates take key role in also, you know, canvassing for this in, in Britain, in, in, in Europe, Germany, France, within the EU. Our affiliates have, you know, working along with the, the, the body of the PSI as a whole, hammered on the need for their governments to reverse its, their stance of support for. Um, intellectual property rights and rather to switch over to supporting these trips waiver. And I must commend the African region uh, for one thing, because one would not really think that well. I mean, regions in the developing world would automatically support the call for waiver, but it was not necessarily so. There were a few countries 
within the, the, the African region that initially uh, we, are, we are not in support of the, the, the campaign for a waiver, you know, for several reasons. We don't need to go into this, that now. But PSI working closely with its affiliates on the ground in these countries reached out to the government, carried out consistently advocacy with the government. This contributed very significantly to, the, to where we are now that the, the Africa as a bloc is solidly uh, uh, behind um, the, 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 the waiver, the call for a waiver. And uh, as, 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 we, as we struggle for this, to point out some of the reasons why as we, we, the, the emphasis on, is on the vaccine, uh, we should have all eyes open. Even, even before we got to the stage of the vaccines, you, when you had um, things like uh, 3D printing of uh, ventilator parts in, in, in a country like uh, Italy during the surge, you had the, the companies that had the patent right which threatened to take people to court. When people were, when there was, there was not enough ventilators, there were not enough PPEs, the, the PPSI was at the fore of calling out, you know, on the global crisis within the global public emergency itself, of the shortages of PPEs. As way back as March last year, uh, the PSI General Secretary wrote to the Director General of the WHO calling for action in this regard. So we, we, we have to see how, how, how all this fit together. Now, uh, as I pointed out, these this issues, uh, there are technical dimensions of them and which are quite important, but they are primarily political. You know, they are primarily political and about the priorities that governments, that world leaders, you know, place on, on people, place on health as against, you know, profits and the wealth of a few people. So, uh, and when you talk about it being political and structural, the issue of, Rosa spoke exceedingly on, on that, where you have a situation where you have some 47 trillion in, in tax savings, amounts that could cover the monies needed to recruit nurses and net workers to fill the 18 million shortage twice over. When you have, have situations like this, you, you can see that the, the, there are more issues. So the things about, not only about um, tax justice, the issue about the debts, a lot of these are even odious debts. The debts of lo- less developed countries have to be canceled to enable them. There's the need for governments to have the fiscal policy space, you know, to be able to, because beyond this the, the issue of um, part of the, 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 the senior is also about universal access to, to healthcare. The, the, the greatest preparedness, because right now a lot of things about crisis preparedness and response, investment in quality public health, universal public health and care systems is the surest, surest way of, you know, ensuring preparedness, you know. So, so, so the, and, and without fiscal policy space, this is, is, is impossible for several countries. We cannot rest on charity. As a South African um, delegate pointed out uh, to the last WTO meeting, that, look, the problem with charity is that it says to hell with, with, uh, with rights. You know, and talking of rights, the rights of people, also the people, the, the, the issue of countries. Um, Rosa spoke about COVAX and um, 
a key thing to point out there as well, in addition to what she has pointed out, is how through several corner-corner directions and ways of maneuvers, you see corporations taking decisive decisions, being inculcated into institutions of decision-making in the name of what they call multi-stakeholderism. They now make themselves, they put maybe small change. About 90% of the money that have been raised so far on acts accelerator, <coughs> which is the um, public-private, global public-private partnership that uh, COVAX is a part of. But this is from public funds, just as with the vaccines we're talking about. But yet, for private interests play the role of dictating that no, um, let us do, 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 there's need for innovation, there's need, a lot of bad that's, pardon my, my French. So, so the thing is, we have to curtail it. People like uh, Bill Gates, Foundation, and so on and so forth, they contribute significantly to this. We have to insist on multilateralism for, because it's about, just as we're talking of public services in the countries, we, we are against public-private partnership, which has been used to hollow out um, the, the, the place of governments as duty bearers. That is what we are seeing at the, at the global level with multi-stakeholderism. We have to take a stand against this. So um, coming back home to, to, to um, with regards to the question to sum up on this, one, uh, the need for a tax waiver cannot be overemphasized. We can win this only through a two-legged form of struggle, that is our advocacy, and uh, getting allies within working with you know, governments to ensure that this becomes a generalized position and becomes inevitable as a decision to be made. Three, we have to, we have to end multilateralism that is driven by and becomes a part and parcel of the structuralization of neoliberalism in our current period. Three, uh, four, Crisis preparedness is not something that is hanging up there or distinct on its own. It has to be rooted in adequate funding of universal public health and care systems. And post-COVID has already started. You already see the neoliberals, when they talk of building back better and all that, their grammar, they are essentially talking about neoliberalism 3.0 in one way or the other. So the battle on vaccines is itself part of a battle to ensure that we indeed have a better, fairer, and healthier world outside this tunnel as we pass through the COVID-19 portal. Thank you, comrades. Thank you very much, uh, comrade uh, Baba Aye, the activist. Uh, indeed, we we need a healthcare system that is universally with a universal health uh, care. Uh, we normally say access. We all normally emphasize in the access of the healthcare uh, by everyone, whether you are poor or no, you are rich. You should have the same uh, 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 privilege of, of getting the health because health is a right. It is a right. 
and uh, all of us we need to to be uh, to get an access to it. Uh, Comrade Sapregnal, Secretary of South Africa. Now that we we heard that PSI globally they've worked very hard to make sure that the vaccine is accessible to everyone. Can you tell us about the the rollout of this vaccine in Southern Africa and the acquisition of the vaccine? We we had through other presentations that um, there are disparities in terms of the access. What is your observation in the Southern Africa? Comrade uh, Fambisa? Thank you very much, President, and good afternoon, colleagues. And I welcome you again to our webinar, our sub-regional webinar. Initially, we had planned to hold the first webinar on privatization, but because of some issues, we ended up changing the topic to this one. Uh, But we still uh, intend to hold that uh, webinar on privatization, and we will announce the date. Um, and the rest of the pre-present. But uh, it, is a, it is as well that we are doing this webinar today because today's webinar on vaccines is coinciding with the week which the World Health Organization has set aside as the commemoration of the World Immunization Week, which started on the 24th um, to the 30th of April. Uh, The previous speakers have uh, demonstrated how vaccination remains our best hope in ending the pandemic. So I will um, make a presentation on how uh, the vaccination programs in Southern Africa have been rolled out. Uh, So to start, um, I would want to respond to which vaccines have each of the countries in Southern Africa uh, managed to acquire. Through inputs from our colleagues, we attempted to collate information on the vaccines that each country in the sub-region has acquired. Different countries acquired or are in the process of acquiring different vaccines. There are obviously a number of factors that I play in determining which vaccines each country took delivery of. And these factors include access, availability, price as well as the politics. Um, For example, Swaziland will not be able to acquire vaccines from China due to its close relationship with Taiwan, which China strongly opposes. And similarly, on the issue of uh, politics, South Africa will try to leverage its role in BRICS to acquire a better rate on vaccines manufactured in India. Okay, so that is the table uh, showing the kind of uh, vaccines that uh, the countries in Southern Africa have acquired. But unfortunately, we could not get all the information uh, because some of the colleagues did not uh, submit. But uh, that table there shows a summary of uh, some of the vaccines that have been acquired. Um, Some public health experts claim that humanity has not achieved any herd immunity through uh, a natural disease uh, disease process to most major infectious diseases, 
that affect the population to the scale of the coronavirus. According to these experts, all the major infections have required vaccination in order to attain herd immunity. In the case of um, COVID-19, the generally recommended uh, percentage of the population that needs to be vaccinated in order to achieve herd immunity is said to be between 60 and 70 percent. But uh, some say it's subject to discussion since COVID-19 is uh, a new disease. Uh, unfortunately, the picture so far of the vaccines that have been acquired by Southern African countries does not come anywhere near this figure. It is uh, very, very, very little, as I also uh, explained in my um, later presentation. Uh, on rollout plans, how have the vaccination programs been rolled out? Uh, most countries in the sub-region adopted and conformed to the World Health Organization recommendation to target groups based on local epidemiological information and an assessment of risk factors, as well as the vaccine supply situation in each country. Accordingly, the rollout plans for most Southern African countries were set to take place in two or three phases. Within these phases, there are roughly three categories in which population groups have been prioritized. Firstly, all countries have planned to start vaccinating health workers, who may also include social workers, community health workers, as in the case of Malawi and Namibia. Uh, Secondly, countries will vaccinate elderly, often identified as those who are six years of age and older, people who live with comorbidities, as well as essential workers, such as teachers, cross-border drivers and workers where social distancing is difficult, like sex workers, retail workers, etc. Uh, and lastly, to be vaccinated is the general population that is considered to be generally healthy and uh, who are above 18 years. Uh, Malawi has indicated that they, they intend to vaccinate people as young as 16 years old. So while most uh, countries in the sub-region have drawn up their vaccination plans, the Zambian health minister was quoted as saying that Zambia had delayed setting out a plan for the introduction of COVID-19 vaccines because it needed to ensure that the vaccines were safe and efficacious. Accessibility. Um, I mean, all the previous speakers uh, uh, mentioned that uh, the issue of accessibility remains uh, a problem. And um, as I have stated um, earlier on, that the amount of vaccines that have been acquired by Southern African countries is very low. Um, The picture is that the sub uh, the sub region is getting left behind in the process of vaccinating its population. 
because almost all the vaccines are manufactured outside the continent, uh, access to vaccines has been limited as a result of limited stocks and supply bottlenecks of the vaccines. Uh, the World Health Organization has rightly identified a lack of supply and inequitable distribution of vaccines as the biggest threat to ending the acute stage of the pandemic and to driving global global recovery. It has calculated that Africa has administered um, vaccines, it administered uh, vaccines to 13.9 million people, which accounts for only 2% of the global COVID-19 vaccine jabs. So to put things into perspective, uh, the entire population of the UK is about 67 million, and reports say that they ordered more than 400 million uh, vaccine doses, which is more than three times what it needs. In comparison, the population on the African continent is about 1.3 billion, and by mid-April, African nations had acquired only 34.6 million doses, which is only about 4% of what the continent needs to vaccinate its population. A further illustration of the inequitable distribution of vaccines is that it is estimated that on average, one in four people in high-income countries has received a COVID-19 vaccine compared with just one in 500 in people in lower-income countries, which includes uh, many African countries. So to show by way of um, a table what the situation is like, um, you can see in that table there, um, those are countries in, the, um, in our sub-region in Southern Africa. And the first column, rather the second column, shows the total number of people who have received at least one dose of a vaccine. Uh, the next column shows the total population of each country. And the last column shows the percentage of the population that has received at least one dose. Now, that column does not show uh, the percentage of the population that has been fully vaccinated. It only shows people who have received at least one dose. So the percentage could actually be lower than that. So if you look at uh, those percentages of the population, um, that is very, very low. And if you compare that to some countries like uh, the U.S., that is said to have already vaccinated about 40% of, that, uh, of their population, and then you compare that to Zambia, which has, um, zero, which has vaccinated 0.1% 0, 0 of its population, you can see this is um, extremely law. Uh, the only country that seems to um, be faring better is Mauritius with 9.2%, uh, but of course still that is um, very, very low. Some estimates claim that at the rate the vaccinations are going, some Southern African countries will need up to 4,692 days to administer enough doses for another 10% of the population. Unfortunately, should things happen this way, some experts warn that 
by that time, the current vaccines would be potentially ineffectual against newer strains of the virus that we have developed through mutation. The implications are that there will then be need to develop new vaccines aimed at these particular strains. So these factors are a clear demonstration that Southern Africa is getting left behind in the fight against the coronavirus. And because of this, it faces the danger of what uh, uh, my colleague Baba referred to as uh, COVID uh, COVID apartheid. So what are the obstacles to healthcare in Southern Africa? Uh, In terms of vaccine administration, in addition to the limitations of acquiring the vaccines, vaccine uh, vaccine rollout programs in some countries have been delayed by operational and financial hurdles or logistical difficulties. For example, South Africa first received a batch of 1 million AstraZeneca doses, which was not effective against the new COVID strain 501v2. It had to hold its rollout program and sold the vaccines to the AU. The doses were subsequently distributed to 18 African countries. Another example of how these financial and logistical issues have affected vaccine administration is when we saw some countries failing to use the doses they had received before they expired. For example, Malawi had to destroy 16,000 doses, Sudan 59,000 doses, and South Africa had to redistribute uh, installs of um, AstraZeneca vaccine um, doses. Secondly, another obstacle to uh, healthcare in Southern Africa is the issue of uh, poor public healthcare systems. Uh, Southern Africa is faced with uh, declining healthcare systems. At the peak of the pandemic in 2020, it became very clear that most countries did not have the capacity to deal with a, with a pandemic. Across the sub-region, uh, from Zimbabwe to Malawi to Swaziland, health workers went on strike for access to PPEs, safe working environments, and for risk allowances. And in addition to this, uh, countries in our sub-region did not have the capacity to conduct COVID-19 tests to the broader population or the equipment to treat patients who were infected with the coronavirus. And the lack of PPEs, oxygen tanks, and ventilators led to numerous deaths of health workers and ordinary citizens. So what are our recommendations? With limited supplies and delays in vaccine shipment, it is important for Africa to develop its own vaccine manufacturing capacity. According to the World Health Organization, the continent is home to 16% of the world's population, but produces only 0.1% of vaccines. Because African countries largely rely on importation of drugs and vaccines, they are particularly vulnerable to delays in essential health products during the pandemic, as is currently happening with the COVID-19 vaccines. Also, we believe it is time that Africa address the issue of the health crisis 
in the context of general economic development. Almost all the problems highlighted above hinge the ability of the African countries to properly industrialize and develop sustainable economies that can manufacture products um, locally instead of continuing to heavily rely on imports. As trade unions, we need to push for inclusion in policy-making processes so that we can influence national policies and the national agenda. One such area should be the issue of taxes, where we should push for the leveraging of taxes um, from our resources to fund stronger public services. Thirdly, as Comrade Baba I has stated, uh, the trade-related aspects of intellectual property uh, chips waiver campaign should be intensified. We encourage all in the sub-region to do more to push and lobby governments to put pressure on intransigent members of the WTO and pharmaceutical companies to waive uh, the TRIPS agreement. And finally, we need to continue to stand strong in protecting our members and workers in general from exploitation through demands for living wages and safe working environments. Employers are taking advantage of the pandemic to to ride roughshod over the workers. Um, I stop here. Thank you very much. President. Thank you, Comrade Fambisa. And thank you for the information that you have shared. It's really shocking, uh, the issue of, of the access to the vaccines. I don't, I don't understand um, why we have to purchase something that is not going to assist us, especially the experience of South Africa with AstraZeneca, because we are all hoping that the, 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 the supply that was coming in, it was the supply that was going to cover at least the majority of the population. But at the, at the time when we received the vaccines, we also received the, 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 the news that the vaccines were about to expire before even taking it to the rollout. Those are the things that are worrying factors. But indeed, we, we, we do have our own constraints, whether they are politically or by virtue of us being poor and not having money to buy these vaccines. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's, let, let me now uh, go to the fifth item of our program, uh, and open an opportunity for the participants to ask questions. I also have a few questions uh, to the speakers. May the speakers listen carefully so that they can respond, and you'll respond by raising your hand, and those who are uh, having questions also, they will raise their hands. Please, uh, Comrade Fambisa, please uh, observe the hands with me so that if I miss one, then you can be able to, to draw my attention to that hand. Okay. Sister, uh, there's, a, there's a hand from Sunny Baba and uh, from the GS. GS? Uh, uh, sorry, Sister Rita. Um, I have to leave uh, by 2 uh, p.m. Uh, as uh, I have another. Uh, I have another meeting. Um, 
I, I want to apologize for that, but uh, I see that it's taking a little bit longer than uh, than scheduled, uh, as it was scheduled until uh, 2 p.m. I want to thank you very much, uh, all of you, and uh, particularly Comrade uh, Gopakumar and uh, and Fambisa for uh, the presentation. I would like, uh, Fambisa, if you can share the slides uh, you prepare, because this is important material for us uh, to use. Eh? Okay. Okay. Thank you. And I leave you with Sunny and Baba that I'm sure I'll uh, very able to <laughs> to respond. Yeah, thank, no, you, thanks, uh, thank you very much. Yes, and thank you for having this uh, the, uh, time to be with us in this webinar. It really meant a lot, especially for those who don't even know what is PSI. We have highlighted what is the, the importance of PSI, especially in the public service. Therefore, uh, we, we would like to appreciate your, the, your effort to reach all the countries that uh, are having the affiliates of PSI. Indeed, Thanks to, to have all you and to you particularly, Rita, for the great <laughs> leadership in the region. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let me take the hand, um, Comrade Sani. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, uh, my leader, uh, Rita. I, uh, mine is yeah, just a simple question. Uh, having looked at um, the presentation uh, just concluded by Comrade Fambisa, I want to take also this opportunity to thank uh, Comrade Babaye, uh, Rosa, and Dr. Gopakumar, uh, and Fambisa uh, for the wonderful presentations, which has actually uh, brought in our expectations and also knowledge on uh, what's going on about uh, the vaccines in the entire world and, of course, the region and the sub-region. Uh, while introducing Dr. Gopa Kumar, you asked a question if he could address uh, the issue of um, fake news about the vaccination or rather about the vaccines, uh, which is really slowing down uh, the interest of people to really go towards taking, having this vaccination. And also having looked at uh, the presentation made by Fabisa, uh, the percentage of uh, population that actually have received uh, the vaccine. I want Dr. Gopak Kumar to probably address this issue of fake news if it has not impacted on the slow or negative uh, perception and uh, towards the populace, because I know what's going on right now in West Africa, and the fake news has really taken toll of people's interests, and the people are already scared and afraid that if they take the vaccination, one or two things might happen to them. And for fear of that, they are really discouraging others, even the enlightened educated people uh, that we have in the society are really afraid of taking the vaccination. Many people uh, if you would go closer to them, they will tell you they are afraid of taking the vaccination. So probably uh, Dr. Gopal Kumar can also address this issue of fake news, which is really going around through the special uh, social media and uh, deterring people from taking uh, the vaccines. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Comrade uh, Sani. Any other hands, Professor? Yeah, no, thank you, President. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, no, clear. 
Yeah, thanks. Like, I've just got one question from uh, the panelists here. Um, you know, one of our major challenge, uh, probably that has not been touched in the presentation, is uh, the distributions of vaccine into rural areas and other dense um, areas or in, in, in Africa as a whole. Um, how do we deal with that and how do we address that? Because um, what we have seen, especially here in South Africa, is that um, distribution of vaccines in the urban areas, it's quite efficient. You know, it's going very smoothly. People need to go to private and get vaccines. You know, the process is very smooth. But I'm more concerned about um, um, getting the, vac the vaccine uh, to the rural areas where we know that uh, the infrastructure is very poor. Um, there's no proper uh, hospitals there, uh, and, and, and also uh, uh, people who are supposed to be giving vaccines in terms of capacity, we, we are lacking there. So what can we do or what can, can be done to assist um, the, 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 the distributions of, of, of vaccines to those areas, you know, so that we address the issues of inequality as well? Thanks. Thank you, Comrade Spusisa. Uh, Yes, uh, thank you uh, very much for uh, this. I think uh, let me express my uh, appreciation to PSI in the Southern African region for organizing this webinar. In fact, that's been very interesting. All the, we hope, as you said, uh, um, Rita, if uh, the, all the slides could be uh, distributed, circulated to, to, to to the to the uh, affiliate in the region in the sub region. Now, with respect to um, uh, Dr. Gopa, the issue of the issue of waiver, how um, how uh, successful uh, we can we be, uh, you know, with a campaign uh, regarding the waiver? Because uh, currently, the issue of vaccine is a very uh, huge problem uh, worldwide. Uh, now we we see in Africa, uh, especially developing countries and least developed countries, the problem we are facing. We know India having a lot of problems now because even ourselves, when we ordered our our vaccines, we're not sure whether we'll be receiving those vaccines. Now, the chances of success with respect to women, the second question is regarding the variant, the new variant now. Now, are the people who actually got vaccinated COVID-19, how far are they going to be, uh, to be, of course, taking into account that vaccine prevent the severity of the infection? Uh, now, we've got new, new variants coming now, the new ones uh, coming in South Africa, India, or we don't know what is going to happen. Uh, what is going to be the situation according to, to, to you, Dr. Gopa? And lastly, the issue of uh, debate on effectiveness on, of, of, of those vaccines. A number of vaccines have been produced and the side effects. We know that WHO did say that the advantages, although there are side effects, but the advantages outweigh the disadvantages. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of debate on that. We need, we need to be. That's why a lot of people are not too interested to do vaccine in Mauritius. I mean, now because they are, they fear that they might have more problems than good. Uh, this, I just want to have your views, Dr. Goba. Thank you, Comrade Sadin. Uh, Dr. Goba, my question is that you, in your presentation, you emphasize the fact that funding of vaccines should be from public funding, not private. 
but we know capitalists will always look for opportunities to make profit. What is your take in this now that uh, we countries are complaining of the accessibility of the vaccines? At a certain point, WHO also expressed their concerns around the manufacturing of the vaccine. That it looks like now the manufacturing is slow. As you have said, the four companies or three companies that you, you, you out of 14, they are not co- co- coping with the demands. Do you think if COVAX can allow the bilateral arrangements uh, to purchase or to acquire or to access the vaccines could be the solution. What is your take on that one? Comrade Baba Aye, it remains a shocking imbalance in the tropical uh, distributions of vaccines. Is there anything that the Afri- that African continent can do together so that we show that solidarity that we normally preach about. Maybe through AU, can we then be able to, to purchase our own vaccines at a central place and distribute them? Could that be a, 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 a wise decision? Because indeed, you cannot uh, live on donations, we need to do other things for ourselves, especially if we are preaching the word of solidarity. Thank you. May I give the, the, the presenters an opportunity now to respond? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Comrade Rita. Um, I think I'll, I'll start with the uh, first uh, you know, question from you, then move to uh, Sadeens and other uh, colleagues. Um, so regarding um, the vaccine availability, I think uh, the primary responsibility uh, of public health is always state, and we should not best that you know allow the state to best that responsibility in the private hands. That is what uh, happens when uh, we leave the responsibility of public health in the private hands. Then uh, you know uh, the people's health get compromised. Private sector as is uh, really said it uh, looks for the opportunities for profit and uh, without profit also it cannot survive so there comes the uh, state as an you know uh, as a uh, uh, as a as an independent arbiter uh, between the open market and the people uh, you know to to ensure that accessibility is not compromised so there are uh, you know when uh, when uh, protecting the uh, protecting the reasonable profit of the private sector, state can still ensure access, but we should not uh, give a free hand the private enterprises to set their own prices and, and their own uh, profit motive to uh, be placed uh, above the people's health. Uh, so that is the important lesson, and uh, the COVID uh, you know, vaccine research clearly shows that. Oh, one more thing, that if the public uh, fund can be made available and can be pushed, then you can get the desired result. But the cure 
what the governments uh, especially governments in the uh, developed countries have done they have pushed the money uh, to do the vaccine research but they decided uh, to give a free hand to the private enterprises to enjoy the fruits of the uh, that research okay so they are not focusing on the dissemination of that um, dissemination of the research outcome so in a way there was a complete de-risking of the r&d as well as manufacturing of the vaccines but the governments allowed uh, also to privatize the entire profit occurring from the r&d out, uh, effort so this is the problem so we need um, to scale up the production and um, ensure access so only through the competition and only through the uh, scaling up of the production you can bring the competition and bring down the prices and ensure availability here it is not only the price alone the products are not available to meet the demand so we need to address that urgently so this is what i would uh, you know uh, uh, respond to the uh, uh, comrade sadian's uh, question also uh, and then moving towards the um, fake newses and the vaccine hesitancy existing uh, in the uh, in the uh, 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 many part of the world including uh, in my country i think uh, the uh, unions like psi can play a major role because the health workers they are the role models whether it's community health workers or even uh, you know uh, uh, the workforce working in uh, uh, in in, in uh, hospitals so they are the role models here and they can play a major role by you know um, demystifying about the vaccine and bursting the myths uh, uh, circulating around regarding the side effects of the vaccine and um, there are who has myth uh, busting series and they do have published various uh, materials including one on i pasted here on uh, vaccines uh, what i would say um, is that uh, uh, there would be Uh, uh, you know there is nothing uh, safe always you cannot assure any vaccine as 100% safe but those things are if, uh, you know no uh, happens in a very very small percentage of people it happens but there are mechanism to address also uh, most of the time uh, i think we need to communicate uh, uh, to the people about the benefits of the vaccine and also make them aware of the uh, potential side effects etc i think on regarding uh, variants i think it's already answered um, by peter uh, already uh, there are uh, still work is going on but especially the astrazeneca vaccine has been rejected in south africa because it's uh, uh, not that e- efficacious with the particular variants but other uh, vaccine they are conducting research how can they uh, how can they address the variants and many variants Uh, this vaccine can address but uh, recently there was a news also from uh, pfizer that uh, they are trying to develop a booster dose then yesterday um, I, uh, I, the us uh, official fauci told that uh, one of the vaccines from india that's a covaxin is useful to cover around 512 variants but there could be other variants which uh, with that vaccine may not able to cover but for the moment many vaccines can cover many of these variants okay uh, so uh, that is what the i would like to respond to the uh, 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 question uh, questions thank you
Thank you, Dr. Koba. Um, Comrade Babaye. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much, um, Comrade President. Um, well, if you're talking of the, in the immediate um, quick fix, yes, uh, something along the lines of um, a, a concerted AU effort might make sense. Uh, but I think it is important to focus more on winning this trips waiver, uh, which seems closer to be won than, uh, than ever. I mean, I think that uh, in the light of the campaigns, the Biden's seeming turn and all that, it's not as if the, it's not yet won, but he, we should not throw into the mix uh, of the narrative what could strengthen some of the third way illusions that our own Ngozi uh, Okonjo Ewala, for example, was uh, presented because this would not be something to latch on more to. Um, then there was something I can't remember. I think it was Tichan Tichan Fabisa who was who was uh, pointing that out earlier of capacity in Africa, because one of the things we keep stressing is it's, it's the trips waiver is very important, but not on its own alone. It has to also be go along with the call for, you know, sharing of know-how and technology. Then there has to be material capacity for them utilizing such. There are a few countries on the continent which could have this. Then we could talk of a more holistic AU concerted efforts. If, for example, maybe you say there's production going on in, say, um, South Africa, Senegal, Nigeria, Kenya, then you can, but a very important part of capacities, it's not just a technical, it's also political. Um, a lot of um, production capacity of nation states on the continent were cut down at the turn of the century as part of this Washington consensus. I'll give a very good example. Nigeria used to have a, it was FVPNL, Federal Vaccine Production, uh, Federal Vaccine Production Limited, FVPNL. It was a state-owned enterprise. It's it produced, amongst other things, a vaccination for yellow fever and a number of other things like that, not only for Nigeria, but <clears throat> for the West Coast, for the, for the sub, subcontinent there. It was privatized. It was bought by May and Baker. But this is the interesting thing. May and Baker, on buying it, just kept it as a portfolio and rather imports stuff from United States of uh, America. So there's the need for such, we, we surrender too much as part of this surrender to the neoliberal, neoliberal nonsense. I'm sorry to say, but yes, nonsense is what it is really. So uh, even as I keep saying, we must not lose sight of the key issue at each point in time, but also at each point in time, we must not lose sight 
of the wood for the tree, no matter how big that tree is. We need to emphasize the need for a radical change in the political economy within which our crisis preparedness and response could make sense. I think this is of utmost importance. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Comrade Baba Aye. Comrade Kambisa can respond to the question from Spusisongasa on the distribution of vaccines to rural areas. Yes, uh, Comrade Spusiso, it's it's uh, a difficult question. Um, and like Comrade Baba was saying, it's not easy to come up with uh, quick fixes to say this is what can be done. Uh, but like I said earlier on, and like also Comrade Baba um, emphasized, I think this has got to do with uh, uh, capacity building, which is something that is in the long term. Um, not only capacity building in, in, in uh, manufacture, but also uh, in infrastructure development. And this obviously uh, requires um, a lot of uh, uh, funding in public services so that, I mean, roads are, 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 are built up to create access to, to rural areas, to create access to hospitals that are in those remote areas. So it goes back also to the point on um, Africa having to focus on, on, on development. We are in the, 21st, uh, in the 21st century and we're still complaining about underdevelopment. We're still complaining of corruption and all those things. So I think it's time uh, we should, even as trade unions, make sure that we push uh, for the awakening of our continent so that um, we, we, we improve our economies, we improve our man, uh, manufacturing capacity, we improve uh, the provision of um, uh, public services in our countries. So, yeah, I do not see how in the, in the short term um, what can possibly be done to improve access to those hospitals in rural areas and remote, in remote places. But I think this is also uh, an open discussion that anyone can possibly uh, contribute. Comrade Spoo. Thank you, uh, Comrade Fambisa. Um, I'm noticing the hands, but I'm not sure whether those are the old hands, but you'll indicate, Comrade uh, Sunny Baba. Is that an old hand? Yes, it's an old hand, and it refuses to go away. It refuses to go away. <laughs> okay, Comrade uh, Sardin, Comrade Suso, is that the old hand? Yeah, uh, no, thanks, uh, President. Um, you see, we, 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 we are coming up with recommendations. And some of these recommendations for us to, to see them uh, surface to light. Uh, it, it talks to Africa uh, awakening, as uh, Comrade Fambisa indicated. Because um, one of the things that I wanted to advance is that um, as much as we are saying uh, that we, we, we want to echo the issue of uh, intellectual property, sharing of intellectual property for us to have the capacity to produce. One of the challenges is that in Africa, do we have that political will 
from our governments in terms of investing into infrastructure, developing that type of technology, which uh, has remained dormant for a very long time that we have neglected. And now all of a sudden we are waking up today that we are in a pandemic and we don't know how to respond. We are always looking outside as opposed to um, uh, providing our own internal solutions. So how do we motivate uh, our leaders in terms of, 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 of prioritization into health infrastructure and all of that? Because one of my other biggest fears is that we are recommending a, a push uh, on uh, leveraging in terms of taxes. Uh, and, and we know what happens uh, when the government collects uh, a lot of money through taxes instead of uh, diverting the funds into development, infrastructure, and capacitation. You know, all of a sudden, you, you get corruptions left, right, and center, and money monies are disappearing, not knowing where they're disappearing to. So how do we find those solutions? Because I think it is in this platform where we, we're supposed to indicate that these are the challenges and, and, and these would be probably the, the, the relevant solutions in terms of addressing, because it's not that we don't have the capacity to, to, to develop technology. We do have the capacity, we, we, we have the intellect, we have everything, but the political will as well as, as, as the funding into, into our own uh, uh, development, it, it is what is lacking. And what role do we play, even us as, 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 as unions, in terms of ensuring that we, we protect uh, uh, our, our, our own and develop our own? Thanks, uh, President. Thank you, Comrade So uh, I'll allow Comrade Baba Aye to take this question as we are about to close the, the webinar. Yes. I think the time is, is against yes, us. Yes, Chair. Yes. Can I do, do I have the floor now? Because yeah. I just just okay. be okay. precise because the time is against us. I will. I will. I will. Um, there are things that, that need to be done on the ground. I think we need to base our, um, yeah, we need to base ourselves on what the um, uh, WHO has been saying uh, lately. They say vaccine alone cannot, will not overcome COVID-19. In fact, they made a series of recommendations that countries have to come forward with, the, with, they should not. It is vital for countries to avoid cutting public spending. You know, now we've realized that, that uh, in the health sector, in social sectors, there's got to be in public hands. And they have also made a recommendation that the target of spending an additional 1% of GDP on primary health care. I mean, they made a series of recommendations they even, even mentioned that it is vital for government to invest in strengthening health services. So what, what I'm saying, we know what has happened in Mauritius. Last year, they have reduced the budget by 10%, uh, cuts in public expenditure. And this year, they said they are going to, they are going to again, reduce it by 25%. So we said, government, how come? You've got to invest more now in equipment because vaccine alone, uh, as the uh, WHO has been saying, will not overcome COVID-19. And now... And now we don't know what is going to be the future. So we need to, 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 to pressurize uh, and, and using as basis whatever the, the WHO has been recommending lately. And they are, con they are continuing to do that uh, so that at least, at least government continues to invest in, in the, in the uh, health sector. And unfortunately, what they do, there is a lot of, uh, we've got experience in Mauritius. Lately, they have also had the emergency procurement. 
you know, and, and outsource a lot of services. You know what this means? Uh, you know, when you outsource, you know what this means? Even the emergency procurement, there's a lot of wastage of, of public funds. So I think we need to campaign as other sub-region so that government invest more in the provision of public services, including uh, healthcare. Thank you, comrades. I'm, I'm really pissed now. Um, I'm supposed to be in the, another meeting at first, but let me give an opportunity to Comrade Babiaye to reflect on the political will of the African leaders to develop our own resources. We believe Spuso is saying we believe that we do have intellect, we do have resources, we do have capacity to manufacture our own vaccines. But he thinks that uh, the, the, the problem that we are facing is the political will uh, uh, from Africa to, to, to explore uh, our own things that we can use in terms of, 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 of manufacturing the, 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 the vaccines. Uh, if I, I've quoted you well, uh, Comrade, so, so my apology if I didn't quote you well. But I'll give uh, uh, Comrade Baba Aye just a minute. A minute yeah, I would also, to, 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 respond, to respond. I'll to do this. that quickly too. I'm, I'm also too, I've been in the meeting now, but this is very important. Very quickly, it's that, and this is why the kind of thing we're doing now is very important. Uh, the political will of leaders is largely come it is there the global context either helps to facilitate or to limit the extent to which global leaders and regional leaders including in africa take steps um i'll give examples to buttress this yes we had visionary leaders in the 60s and 70s but that was not the only reason why you had such landmark steps that resulted in, you know, uh, increase in health expenditure, commitment to education, and so on and so forth. It was part of a global post-World War II order, which was also where you had the um, welfare states in Europe and um, so on and so forth. However, we have had the neoliberal uh, order as the common sense. And, and this former thing, this former order was what informed the Lagos Plan of Action of 1979 that was eventually just kept in the cooler, just like the Alma Atta Declaration of 78 was kept in the cooler. These were echoes of an era that was being brought to an end by neoliberalism. So if you put Lagos Plan of Action side by side by Nepad, you will see not only changes in Africa and the will of African leaders, but also changes in the global context. So this, I think, is part of why we need to fight for a new global common sense, you know, including that, look, health must always come before wealth, you know, people must come before profit and so on and so forth. Then we, as trade unions, as social movements, can help to knock the political will of leaders in Africa in the correct direction. Thank you. Thank you, Comrade Baba Aye. Uh, colleagues, Comrade, we have come to the end of our webinar. It is 
that vaccine is a public good. Although more than 700, more than 700 million vaccines have been distributed globally, the richer countries have benefited more. They've benefited more than 87% than the lower income countries who have received 0.2% of the vaccine. We therefore have to continue to ask for the WTO to waive the IPs for vaccine and the, and the tools and the health tools during this COVID-19 pandemic. Comrade, uh, Comrade Sani, can you please close this, meet, this webinar for us um, because the General Secretary is not here now. Uh, thank you, uh, Comrade President, uh, for inviting me actually on behalf of Rosa uh, to make some closing remarks. I want to take this opportunity to thank uh, you in particular and then all the presenters, uh, Dr. Gopa, Comrade Babaye, Comrade Fambisa and Rosa, uh, for finding time uh, to be part of uh, this webinar. You know, we're actually running uh, behind time. We are quite late. So I want to take this opportunity to thank also all the participants for finding time to be here. As Pamvisa mentioned, we are going to have another round of this webinar, which is going to focus on privatization so that other issues can also be addressed. Comrades, I wish you all the best. Have a great day and stay safe with your families.